I am pleased to welcome the members and guests of the Committee of Student Affairs and Special Programs to this meeting. There are copies of the agenda supporting documents on the table. There are two action items, two information items on the agenda. Approval of the minutes. May I have a motion to accept the meeting, to approve the, mi the minutes of the April 16th meeting? So moved. Can I have a second? Second. Discussion? And, oh, discussion? Can we have discussion? Yes, we can have discussion, yes. Okay. Uh, last time I checked, and maybe it's changed, but when I looked at the minutes, there was no reference to the motion which I made and was seconded and then failed, which was to separate Article 15 and 16. I know since that meeting that that has happened at the general board meeting, but I was trying to understand why it was omitted from or you know, I don't know if it was deliberate or not, but left out of the minutes. The fact that we did uh, make a motion, it was seconded, we did vote and, he, and it failed. Okay, um, can we have uh, um, an amendment and yeah, to make sure that it, should, it is reflected? It should certainly be reflected, absolutely. Yes. Would you, would you, can you restate what your statement was so that, they, uh, that it is accurate? Yes, uh, that, you know, that the minutes uh, note that uh, I made a motion right. to separate Article 15 and 16 uh, from uh, the uh, requested changes to the CUNY bylaws. Mm -hmm. that I think, believe it was seconded by Fernando. Right. Uh, and... A discussed. vote was taken and it failed. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. The student Fernando, right? Yes, Fernando, okay. the representative okay. for. Uh, okay. Right, yeah. Fernando. Yeah. Arroyo. Oh. Arroyo. 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 I try. Thank you. A so, lot of vowels together. <laughs> so noted. Absolutely. Was I present at that meeting or not? Because I don't see my name on there, but then I seconded something at the end of it to adjourn the meeting. <laughs> Yeah, you were present because I remember yeah, you spoke you to me so after. If, if the, I'm there, then I'm not. I'm not on the committee members <clears throat> list. Okay, you're missing. I'm missing in action. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Huh. But somehow I, my I ghost came in and seconded. Yeah. You know, after the meeting, I know you didn't take the minutes, yeah. right? I'm I'm aware too. Okay. But we can just correct them anyway. Yeah, so, yeah. I can. He should be. It's not unusual. And John yeah. and right. Fernando were there. Mm -hmm. So following the amendment. May I now ask for, are there any further discussions on the matter? Um, reflecting the amendment, right. all in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? The minutes will be approved with the addition with the amendments that will mm -hmm. be made. Sure. Revision to the policy on sexual misconduct. Um, I will call on our council or the representative to Thank you, Kelly. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, again, my name is Bridget Barbera, and I'm uh, in the Office of the General Counsel. Um, as I stated at the last meeting, if you remember that there were several changes that were made to the policy on sexual misconduct that were really aimed towards uh, students and required by statute. The Enough is Enough statute, changes in Title IX, um, as well as other uh, guidance given by the federal government. Um, those changes those edits were provided to 
board members, uh, stakeholders in the community, such as uh, presidents, provosts, um, different members of CUNY, as well as USS. Um, after that first version of the policy was disseminated, um, there was a change in the law three days later. Um, on April 12th, the labor law was amended, Labor Law 201G. Um, and there have been some edits to the policy since our last date based on those now required compliance measurements. They're actually aimed at employees. Um, they're small, but I think they're important. And they are first um, a more wholesome definition of retaliation, explaining that it could be um, in violation of the law. There were a change to our definitions. We now define supervisor and manager. Um, we provide now in the policy a clear delineation if someone is uh, feels they've been a victim of sexual harassment, where they can go outside of CUNY as well as inside of CUNY. Um, we had a wonderful conversation with members from USS. It was a wonderful um, almost two hours discussion. And we took their edits and their recommendations. We've required that responsible employees disclaim that they have to go and tell um, if someone comes and reports sexual an incident of sexual misconduct to them. Um, they want the students were very concerned about making sure that there was awareness and disclosure and transparency. It was wonderful. And then the other requirement um, or the request they had was giving a more comprehensive definition of visitor and what rights a visitor has if they're a victim on our campus of sexual misconduct. And we now have that clearly delineated in the policy as well. So um, those were the additions that were made since the last date. Um, and um, you know we were, we were very grateful to USS for their input. Are there any questions? Any comments from members of the committee? I guess the only comment I would make is that this is important work, and I know it needs to go on. Uh, that uh, UFS, actually, Committee of Student Affairs, met with Jane Sovereign to discuss, uh, you know, their concerns, or just be to continue to be informed. That I, I met with Jane and Bridget, uh, with Kimora, who's the chair of that committee as well, in a separate meeting, and that we support, you know, continuing to do the work on this. Uh, important issue and now is the time and uh, I know that this, this is there are certain things that are happening at this time and that there will be more I believe in the future and so I look forward to that and we're grateful for all of UFS's help and um, the, the constant dialogue is really important because this is evolving so you know we're very excited about this new um, revision to the policy thank you very much and then we will now have updates on domestic and international travel guidelines. It was a, it was question. a yeah. oh, motion. Question. Are there any questions? Oh, no, I just, uh, that was the question. Do we have to, <laughs> no, no, no. We have to approve the changes yes. okay. in order to forward them to the board? Okay. Can, can we um, make a motion for the approval of the amendments? So moved. Second. All in favor? Aye. 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 <clears throat> then we'll do the updates on domestic and international travel guidelines. And do we know who's going to cancel? Ms. Holly. Would you like a, Please. Yeah. Yes, a quick summary? Sure. I'd be glad to. Thank you. Thank um, you. Many thanks to the board for considering this 
Um, I have been working on revisions to the international travel guidelines since beginning at CUNY in late 2013 to give you a, a sense of the scope of the changes. And many things have changed in the meantime. So it really has been um, a, a large-scale project. Um, the in Could you identify yourself? Oh, I apologize. Thank of you. course. My name is Kim Holland, and I work in the Office of Academic Affairs. So the, um, the revisions encompass, on the one hand, a reorganization, um, but the substantive changes, which I think are of greatest interest to this committee and the board, um, encompass, on the one hand, oversights in the original guidelines. And um, incidentally, I'm speaking on the international travel guidelines. Um, I'm not as familiar with the domestic. Um, and on the other hand, there are some new developments which it attempts to address. Um, the most important oversight, in my opinion, is that the initial international travel guidelines focused almost exclusively on study abroad for credit trips that are organized out of our colleges. Um, and this was, um, there was a blind spot because many of our trips, an increasing number, are originating out of student organizations um, and also other non-credit trips. So this does um, more, far more explicitly encompass those trips and creates procedures for these to be um, reviewed and approved at the college and university levels. Um, there are some revisions which and additions which um, encompass the fact, for example, that um, as recently as this spring, the Department of State changed its travel warning system. Um, and that was actually something that the previous version didn't do a great job of helping campuses navigate. Um, there was no waiver petition process for trips going to a location under a tr Department of State travel warning. It also didn't explicitly mention CDC travel warnings. So the new version addresses both, and it creates a process when a campus can say, we really think that this trip, um, although it's going to a country or a location that's under a travel warning, um, that the circumstances of this trip and the students involved um, are prepared, um, or that perhaps the entire country is not um, subject to equal risk and that our students will can do this with a, a reasonable um, risk-benefit analysis. Um, another issue, particularly Question. since... Are you, so are you saying yes. that previously, if it was uh, under a State Department travel ban, automatically we would cancel the trip? The letter of the guidelines said that, um, and that was really observed in the breach. And so we now want to create a process where those trips can be reviewed on a case-by-case -case basis. And Does that's that what this accomplishes. Does that add any liability to us if something ha were to happen, even though we determine at some point this country, this portion of the country is safe, mm -hmm. but then the students are there, becomes unsafe, something happens, are we going to be held liable in some way because of that? That's a fantastic question. I'm not an attorney, but what I will say is that the Office of General Counsel, which um, worked with us on this, created an additional release form for students who are, and, and any other participants, who are traveling to these locations. And it explicitly asks those participants to recognize the risks in that um, travel warning. And um, so it's, it goes beyond the current releases. Um, another thing that um, I would highlight with this is that 
it does create, um, a di there, there are different levels. For example, undergraduates are definitely not allowed to even petition for a waiver to go to a State Department um, travel advisory um, country or sub-country location at a level four level, which is their highest level, and it's really write your will, make arrangements. It's, it's very, very high level. The same is true for level three CDC travel warnings, which are extremely um, severe and extremely rare. Um, however, we did create some room for um, graduate students and employees under very um, justified circumstances to petition for those, and, and all, at all times, those petitions can be re um, referred to as high up as the chancellor. So we don't expect those to come up very frequently, but um, when we don't feel comfortable signing it on our own, we will be sending it upstairs. It's hmm. interesting. Uh, is there somebody from legal counsel here? I can answer this. Bridget was yes. just yes. here. Yes. Her failed. Yes. The short Doesn't answer it, is that we're liable for everything, even not if they don't go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here comes here oh, comes the attorney. Actually, we do have um, <laughs> the attorney <laughs> coming here. Perfect and timing. Come over here, attorney. Then we actually just uh, got a follow-up question on the travel warning waiver petitions and whether or not that increases our liability. Would you like to? Would you please ask a question? That's exactly number? the question. Just um, if in the past we didn't send anyone once the State Department imposed a travel ban, <coughs> now we're in a position where we're determining. Uh, the, with the decision makers after a waiver form is submitted to us, whether we're going to allow them to travel or not. Yes. And if something were to happen while they were traveling, would that bring upon some liability to us, increased liability? Well, it wouldn't increase our liability because the students or whoever's traveling, they would have filled out a waiver form and the evaluation process initially begins at the college and they look at all of the threats and all of the problems that might occur. And once they've determined that it's okay, then it comes to central for us to look at it again. So we would be fine and we'd be able to defend any issues of liability because we've gone through what really will amount to a three-step process before they've signed the waiver and we've allowed the trip to go forward. Well, I mean, I guess the main point is the waiver that they sign at the individual level, uh, the second part where the college approves it, that just opens up the college to liability if the initial waiver doesn't protect the college. And so I, I'm not saying does it protect Central, but does it protect college, well, CUNY college? Right, there's only one. Right, so, so we're, we're saying that that waiver, because I know how waivers don't always do what they're supposed to do. And you can sign waivers for your kids to go on school trips all day long. Something negligent happens along the way and you can still sue right. and win. And so wouldn't this be a similar situation like that, where they sign the waiver, but they go in this, and some person that they're with in, in a position of authority does something negligent, makes a wrong decision, wrong turn? That could happen in the Bahamas. Right. That, 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 that could happen on yeah. any trip, and that's why it's, you know, your due diligence in the training of folks who do study abroad. I ran a study abroad program where we went to Chile and we were in Patagonia and kids were, you know, kayaking and doing all kinds of stuff. 
but we were put through emergency plans. You know, we had to carry a satellite phone. There were a lot of things that happened. There was an earthquake while we were down there, actually, and so, you know, contacting families. So if you do due diligence, you're fine. Obviously, any kind of negligent act would then make the university level, but that can happen on the campus. Sure, any negligent act can happen anytime, anywhere, right. but when there's a State Department travel ban that says American citizens should not go, and somehow we are seen as overturning that, you are just increasing in front of a jury, let's say, the liability risk <clears throat> of having us be responsible in some way for the damages that the person right, but, but, but understand, these are very, very limited incidences. Sure. And these are incidences where either the research or the study actually requires the individual to be in right. that space at that particular time. It's not a global, everybody who makes Oh, I get it. I, I, I'm just thinking of that one case. That's right. I, I understand it's very limited. It gives us the option and flexibility as opposed to a blanket ban. I'm just trying to decide whether uh, the chancellor, for example, has enough information about the uh, goings-on in X country when the State Department, who are the so-called experts on this, have already imposed a travel level four, right. let's say. Right. And, right. And, and I don't distinguish between our undergraduate students and our gra graduate students because they're still yeah, our so students. So. Yeah, but, but, but to make it to make it more complicated, what about Cuba? I mean, I was going to throw Cuba. I, I've gone to Cuba many times. Sometimes it was legal. Sometimes it was sort of legal. And sometimes <laughs> you're on camera. And I will say on camera that I didn't really care uh, when it was sort of legal or not legal. And it, it was so, it, and it, the cockamamie nature of the way they deal with Cuba um, is not going to discourage, I think, us as CUNY from sending students who want to study there and maybe. They can learn something about healthcare and some other education that they do very well over there. Right. The point is, obviously, you're thinking in terms of legal liability. Sure, that's all. I'm I don't think there's any crime in Cuba. Not a lot happens bad. Um, so, actually, we've sent two goodwill tours from student affairs there, which I, I ran into one of them in front of the University of Havana, and we had a wonderful time. And I'm also thinking of right now. I know that there's a planned trip of taking students to Puerto Rico to do work there. And there are certainly people who could, who could talk about the questionable concerns there. Although even the State Department isn't banning people from Puerto <laughs> right. Rico. Even right. the State well, Department. Well, and that's the difference. Right. Is the, I know, the State Department is not, they're imposing a ban that's on right. Cuba not because of danger issues. It's exactly. because of a philosophical, that, political issue, right? That I get. We, I'm happy to overrule that all day long. What I'm talking about is, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to pick a country in particular, but a war-torn country, and I guess the research warrants that they need to go there to understand the tribal tensions, for example, in a particular region, and they want to, you know, help produce peace there. And all I'm saying is that's a, that warrants us wanting to send people, but right. does it open us up to liability or not? And I, I would like to recognize two very important points that came out of the conversation so far. On the one hand, um, your point that State Department advisories are often politicized. That's simply reality. On the other hand, you have extremely valid concerns. And, you know, coming from Office of Academic Affairs, I work with our Office of Environmental Health, Safety, and Risk Management on those issues. And I would say we tend to be rather conservative. Um, 
it doesn't always lead to an outright no. It often leads to a conversation with the campus asking them to, to consider whether they've looked at all the angles of a proposal. Um, we do say, please go back and revisit this. The most frequent outcome of, of that recommendation is that the campus itself decides to change its position on whether or not a, a particular trip is, is well advised or not. Um, and it, these waivers, the, this waiver petition process is not designed to simply open the door wide. It's to um, facilitate a conversation. And it also is designed to ensure that each campus is taking full responsibility for really reviewing these trips. Um, at Central, we really try to stay out of the academic piece of it because we don't think that we're the best position to do so. Um, but we do look at the academic um, aspects to see whether or not it justifies the specific risks that are being taken. Um, I think the other thing we have to look at is that any trip, regardless of whether um, a travel advisory um, that qualifies for, the, um, that requires this petition is required, will have these types of um, specific risks. And Puerto Rico is a perfect example because actually at CUNY, although it's a U.S. territory, it is, um, it does fall under our international travel guidelines. That's simply an artifact of history and that's how we handle it. Um, so um, there are certainly risks there that simply can't be reflected in the State Department's system because it is part of our country. And um, therefore, um, our, our process, it also includes a trip proposal process for any trip um, that is faculty-led or is through a student organization simply because all trips deserve that type of review regardless of whether or not there is a travel warning in place. I remember climbing a volcano in Chile with the students. It was one that had erupted a couple of years previously, but at this, at this point, you know, it was considered not necessarily dormant, but not likely to. Uh, was that an approved itinerary? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Off the beaten path? Yeah, I had to go through the, the entire privacy plan. And interestingly <laughs> enough, that's where we were when the earthquake happened a thousand miles away, so which we had no effect on us whatsoever. Hmm. So, just point, you know, for example, right now, Hawaii is going through Big Island as uh, volcanic activity. But it's really happening on five percent of the island. Right. So, sorry, I was interrupting you. And, and the idea of the waiver is really to facilitate those circumstances where research dictates being in this region at that particular time, and nothing else. It's not meant to override as a blanket. It's really, really limited circumstances with the waiver. Well, and in those really limited circumstances, the Office of Legal Counsel is comfortable that it doesn't open us up to any more liability than any other trip. No. Okay. I mean, yeah. I'm fine with that. And it should be said, too, that the research on study abroad comes back that, you know, whatever, given all the risks and everything, the payoff for students having that experience is, you know, no, one, no one's doubting the no one's doubting benefit that, yeah. of I've studied abroad twice yeah, in my so life. Don't have to I, tell you. I, you don't have to tell me, but yeah. But I haven't gone to a war torn zone and when there was a state I. travel ban. Well, right, so. I did okay. travel to it to Chile during the Pinochet administration. But that was a little different. Thank you. Thank you. Are Thank there you. any other questions from members of the committee? If there are, there are no other questions. Thank you very much, both.
Um, now, Vice Chancellor, may we have your report? Thank you, Madam Chair. I'd just like to echo my thanks to uh, Kim Holland and to Dan Simonet and my colleagues in Student Affairs, Yvette Santana and Kevin Tucker, for their work on the, uh, on the domestic and international travel policies, as well, of course, as Roberta Nord, um, who is a great leader in that space. Thank you all for your good work on it. Madam Chair, it's my, uh, it's my honor to present uh, the activities of the Division of Student Affairs for the period of May and June. Uh, I'm thrilled to report that the Petrie Foundation has awarded grants of $20,000 each to 17 undergraduate institutions for the purposes of addressing food insecurity on our campuses. These Petrie uh, awards are in addition to the Petrie Emergency Grants, approximately $100,000 per campuses for most of our undergraduate campuses. Um, there's an 18th college, Baruch College, which will receive their funding for food insecurity uh, from, a Baruch, from a Baruch alumnus at the Claire, Found, uh, sorry, the Claire Friedelander Family Foundation. In total, that's $360,000 to provide immediate relief to students who are experiencing food insecurity on our campuses. So we're grateful to Petrie as a partner, and I wanted to recognize the great work of my colleague in the Office of Student Affairs, Lori Beck, who was really our point on developing, uh, working with the campuses to develop these applications. Um, Petrie allowed the colleges to design their own strategies to reflect the unique needs on their campuses. A number of colleges will be using their funds to start or expand food pantries. Other campuses um, will start or expand on-campus food voucher programs, often working with uh, campus uh, uh, food service vendors in order to address the uh, immediate needs of students regarding food insecurity. Other unique approaches include a grab-and-go food package that students can eat on campus or take home, as well as collaborations with Grow NYC, which will allow students to get fresh produce at neighborhood farmers markets. In addition, some colleges will receive a limited number of supermarket vouchers that students will be able to use when their college is not in session. Um, and at a number of our community colleges, the food pantries will provide food for students and their families. Again, we're extremely grateful for Petrie's support in this effort. Um, this is the award season. As we all know, it's the best time of the year for us at CUNY. Um, in that spirit, I'd like to congratulate our colleague Fernando Arujo on his earning his degree, his master's degree in education. I was able to congratulate uh, We're very proud uh, to have Fernando certainly as a, as a vibrant member of this committee, but really as a force for student empowerment at CUNY through his leadership at USS throughout the years. We're grateful to have you as our partner, and thank you for all you've done on behalf of this committee and the students at our university. Thank you very much. Thank Appreciate you. That. Um, uh, within the Office of Student Affairs, we've been fortunate enough to convene um, university-wide uh, scholarship and awards program. Uh, the Salk uh, Award ceremony took place on May 16th at John Jay. Typically, eight scholarships are awarded each year, but this year's uh, pool of applicants was so exceptional that we awarded nine. Uh, this year's Salk Scholar will be attending Princeton University, Columbia University, NYU School of Medicine, 
Stony Brook University School of Medicine, SUNY Downstate College of Medicine, um, and we got a, a particular plug by Trustee Clark, who wanted to make sure that that student knew her address so that her health care needs would be well attended in Brooklyn. Uh, and the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. Um, they're a spectacular group of scholars. We're very proud of them. We were extremely honored to be uh, joined by Trustee Clark, of course, as well as uh, Interim Chancellor Rabinowitz, uh, Dr. Arnold Melman, President of the Society of Salk Scholars, who received his Salk Scholarship from CUNY 57 years ago. And our keynote, um, was uh, the dean of the CUNY School of Med Medicine, Mauricio Prevasant, who mm -hmm. was very inspiring in his remarks. It so it was a w wonderful, wonderful ceremony. And trustee, thank you for being there. Um, the uh, CUNY NYCHA scholarship uh, for 2018, uh, the call for applications has been launched. Uh, the annual scholarship program uh, offers four distinct scholarships, each worth worth $1,000 to CUNY students who reside in public housing. All students, all scholarships require that the applicant is a NYCHA resident, um, is currently enrolled as an undergraduate at CUNY, has earned 30 or more credits, and has minimum GPA of 3.0. So um, we usually get a very robust response to the call for applications. And it's a really remarkable collaboration between two critical uh, institutions to the life of our city, NYCHA and CUNY. Um, COSA has held several end-of-year award ceremonies for our student leaders. Um, I'll just highlight one. Um, on Thursday, uh, uh, May 18th, the City University of New York uh, Athletic Conference awarded its most prestigious honors, the Scholar Athletes of the Year at the 32nd Annual Michael Sturman Scholar-Athlete Awards Dinner at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And again, Trustee, thank you for, for being there at that ceremony. Um, in a tradition that started when the conference was founded in 1986, the CUNYAC annually recognizes four of its best graduating student scholar-athletes, rich in both academics and athletics, <coughs> as their Scholar-Athletes of the Year. Um, the four student-athletes to earn this distinct honor this year were BMCC's uh, Stella Vasso, Kingsborough Community College's Asaf Charles, the College of Staten Island's Ewa Wojciechowska, and uh, City College's Anthony uh, Caccioni. Um, they're a remarkable group of scholar-athletes who have brought great pride to the conference and to our university. And finally, um, this week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, student affairs professionals from more than 40 student, SUNY colleges will join CUNY student affairs professionals for the CUNY SUNY Student Affairs Summit. The summit will focus on food insecurity on campus and provides a unique opportunity for CUNY and SUNY to come together to discuss their experiences and strategies for addressing food insecurity on their campuses. And Madam Chair, that concludes my report. Thank you, Vice Chancellor. Are there any questions? Our comments, clarification, yes. I just say I attended the Scholar Athletes event. It's, it's really an amazing event. And uh, we should try to encourage Zach to invite some more folks from student affairs. Because these kids are, I'm just really blown away by, by the work they've done, uh, not only as athletes, but once again as, as, as scholars and just human beings. 
Uh, so I think uh, it's very good. And I'm just grateful that there's a lot of focus in your report around the food insecurity issue because it's something I've noticed in our campus as well. We've talked about our Senate is trying to find ways to deal with it. And uh, it might get worse if, uh, you know, uh, things start happening with the economy as far as uh, what's going on. So it's, a, it's good that we, we're keeping our eye on that and try to find different ways to deal with it. Thank you. And thank you for your attendance at the Scholar Athletes Dinner. We, we get great support from the University Faculty Senate, you among the foremost leaders. And we're particularly uh, grateful for the FARs, the faculty uh, advisory representatives mm -hmm. uh, that are required by the NCAA on every campus. Yes. They play a vibrant role in the advisement of our student athletes. So your point is very well taken. And going forward, we'll try to get more robust turnout, not only by our student affairs professionals, because it's, it's really a glorious moment for all of us who work with students, but also the faculty members who participate so richly in their success. So thank you. I think I just want to uh, thank you very much, um, Vice Chancellor Rosa. do want to, um, from the campus point of view, just express a really deep debt of appreciation to Petrie for the work they have done, really, for probably about eight years in providing hundreds of thousands of dollars of emergency funding for students. And now to add to that this uh, funding for food insecurity, they have really been very much on the front of this and have given um, a, a real sort of boost to student affairs professionals on the campuses, because this funding is dedicated to emergencies, pure and simple. And um, it's been really a lift for the student affairs professionals to be able to work through um, these issues and to provide direct support for students, fires, car crashes, I mean, you name it, the kind of thing that just can devastate students. And this has been just an extraordinary gift to my institution and to the other institutions. So I just wanted to go on the record on that. Thank so you, President. And thanks for leading us no. in another direction with the food insecurity matter. Thank you. Thank you for that affirmation. And we have a great champion in Beth Leaf of yes, Petrie who's done great work. Do. And, uh, and certainly in our interim chancellor, Rabinowitz, who connected me with Beth. Yes. Um, and we found a real champion yeah. for this cause. But yeah. um, our, our interim chancellor is a, yeah. is, is a huge leader in this space. Yeah. And, and we're grateful for your Thank support. You. Thank you. Are there any other questions, comments? And because our interim um, Chancellor here yes. just wanted to figure out if she needed to say anything to the committee on student affairs or any focus that you have that we may want to look into. Um, Trustee Clark, thank you. I did not come with prepared remarks, but want this committee to know that um, student affairs and academic affairs are inextricably intertwined. Um, I work very well with um, my partner, um, Interim Vice Chancellor Rosa, uh, who is an indispensable partner. And among the things we will be tackling together are food insecurity, mental health issues, 
campus climate. We are work, talking and working together about how can academic and student affairs work most creatively and productively. And again, I, it is, it's good work and I'm thrilled to, uh, to, have, to have one with this. And thank you. Okay, if there are no other um, matters to be brought before the committee, I will, uh, I will take a motion for adjournment. Motion. Second. All in favor, no question, nobody opposed. <laughs> 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 <laughs>